0: Good morning, everyone. You guys have been a good summer. Yes.
1: Uh,
0: yes. Today we're going to continue our series on the Book of Proverbs. Uh, time and time again, in the Proverbs, we are taught to seek, acquire, and also exercise wisdom. Why is that? That's because we lack it, right? We lack it. So Mike said, "Amen." We. Um, We're told to seek it because we don't have it. Um, As sinful people, our influences in life are not great. Uh, Between our upbringings, the the ways of the world, the media, our own flesh, uh, we have a tendency to make terrible decisions, right? Sometimes have uh, terrible consequences. However, this is why the gospel is absolutely critical. Not only does the good news save us from our sins, but it also helps us to live in a way that pleases God. Not by only keeping his commandments, but by also living wisely, right? After we're made alive by the Holy Spirit, the word of God teaches us that we clearly, sorry, that we receive clarity about our sin against God. And by the Holy Spirit, we are humbled and brought into submission to a holy God. And with this humility, the Holy Spirit also enables us to believe and embrace the work of Jesus. And so from that day on, the regenerated Christian has the ability to fear God. To fear God means to consider his power, his majesty, his beauty, his holiness, and then to worship him, to be put in our place and to worship him. To be Christian means that we are people who realize that we don't actually know it all, that we need help from God, right? Not just with our salvation, but with all of the daily decisions and all of the ways that this world requires us to live, right? There's just so much that we have to process. There's so many decisions we have to make. Um, I can't even do the math about how many decisions a person makes in a day. But if, you know, there's thousands of choices that we have to make. And usually when people are tired, they're usually tired because they've had to make hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of decisions. They call it decision fatigue, right? That is a real type of fatigue that most of us face. And so then and only then can we be people who live wisely when we fear God. It's the fear of God that leads us to pray for wisdom. It's the fear of God that leads us to search his word for insight. And it's the fear of God that, uh, that forces us to ask experienced people to give us counsel. And that will be uh, a sermon topic for another day. But as we grow Christ, we start to see that God can make us wise through many avenues. It's not just blindly reading his word. And it's not just going to any old person to ask for help. We see through God's word that he uses so many different, diverse ways to teach us. Now, one of the ways that I've, I've come to enjoy in God's Word is how He uses nature to teach us. How He uses nature. For example, in Matthew 6, 26, Jesus says this about the birds of the air. He says, They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Right? So He uses the life of a bird to teach us, right? Then you go down two verses later in Matthew uh, 6, And this is what Jesus says about flowers. He says, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Job 12, uh, verses 7 to 10. This is what he says about nature. He says, but ask, ask the beasts and they will teach you, the birds of the heavens and they will tell you, or the bushes of the earth and they will teach you, and the fish of the sea will declare to you, who among all these does not know that the hand of the Lord has done this? In his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. So when you look at everything in nature, Romans 1 says that we are without excuse because he has made himself clearly known through nature, whether it's our intricate bodies or our solar system or the climate or microbiological systems, there's just so much in this world that. If we even focus on it for 30 seconds, if we even start to wrap our heads around what is going on, we realize that there is a creator, that there is a designer, right? That's why he gave us those things. Not to enjoy them apart from him, but to taste and see what, that the Lord is good, right? That's the purpose of the gifts that he gives us in this world. And so that's what he does with nature. And there's so many other passages that are similar. I would encourage you guys to... Keep your eyes peeled for passages that are similar. But a question for you guys. Who here has heard the term myrmecology? Myrmecology. I'm 100% not saying that's the right way, but. No? Myrmecology, the study of what? Mermaids. Mermaids. You have the closest guess, so you win by default. Myrmecology is the study of ants. Oh. Fun fact: According to Solomon, the ant is another example of nature pointing us to God and teaching us. According to Proverbs chapter six verses six to eleven, even the ant can teach us wisdom. The ant, even in a very, very, um, I guess, high academic circles, is often regarded as an animal that humanity can learn from. If we look at the, the way they craft their systems, the way they Craft their nest, the way they protect the queen, the way they forage for food, the way they recruit um, ants from other nests. You can see I've been studying ants for a couple of days. Of, it's a lot. Watch Ant Man a couple of times. But, you know, get a little bit of uh, a little bit of training. That's not myrmecology. It is a little bit, man. <laughs> Just a little bit. It's a pun. Um, when you look at the life of an ant, when you look at the system, there are so much that humans can learn from. It seems like Solomon agrees with that. And so um, when we look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11, the ant can teach us um, wisdom. And if you read in verse 6, it says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, to consider her ways and be wise. What we learn in these verses is that um, the ant actually has a whole lot to teach us about work. About work. When I think about work, so much comes to mind. Work can be the source of so much joy and satisfaction, but it can also be the source of so much aggravation and frustration. Amen? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: A few minutes ago, I mentioned our lack of wisdom often leading us to making bad decisions that lead to bad consequences. And so for me personally, if I had a dollar for how many times those bad decisions were related to work, I would be a millionaire, right? Who can relate to that? Who here has made bad decisions regarding their work. One thing to clarify before we look at God's word: When I say the word work, I want to make sure that we don't mix it up for the word career. When I say work, I'm, res- I'm referring to all of life's responsibilities. Work is far bigger than our careers. Work includes jobs in and around the home, right? It, involved, it involves tasks such as chores, cooking, finances, and home maintenance. Then there's also the hard responsibility of raising children, cooking, reading books, wiping butts, bedtime, taking them to appointments here and there, helping them with with new milestones. And um, Lily, you can relate to this. The same thing applies to sometimes our elderly parents too, right? We often start and end our lives the same way, dependent on someone else. And then there's work in the church. Yeah, you know, you guys come in and you see that uh, there's chairs set up. But maybe you see Mike or you catch him, the, the chair fairy, uh, setting up the chairs or packing them away while we socialize. And he just kind of maneuvers around us, putting the chairs away. And that's hard work. But there's also stuff like bringing supplies each week. You know that uh, various people in our church uh, bring totes and set up the kids' church every week. Bring things from their home that they have to bring, that, that we have to have. There's... Um, Writing the sermon, that's probably, that's an obvious one, right? But then there's also recording recording and editing the sermon. There's kids' church, finances, leading praise and worship. Then there's also the other days of the week. Hospitality, prayer, evangelism, generosity. There is a lot of work involved in being a Christian, right? And then there's school. Cora's not here. I think she's the only one who's that who's, who's who's actual student or was? just a student, but you know, going to class, studying, writing exams, projects, labs, group assignments. Those are often really challenging things, right? In life there's so much work to do, amen? And I know some of you right now are going through your list, just filing through the things that you got to do when you get done. Some of us have to go to work after this, um, some of us are looking for work. Some of us are stressed out from work. Some of you guys didn't sleep this weekend because your work is so stressful. Some of you are struggling to find satisfaction in your work. Um, Some of you have had to move for work, right? Work is such a heavy part of our lives. And so I think um, that it's absolutely critical that we have a biblical view of work, right? It's absolutely critical that we understand. And so let's look at the ant, studied myrmecology. For the next little while And learn some things about the end There's four things But first I'm going to read the passage Proverbs 6 Verses 6 to 11 If they're in your Bibles Proverbs 6 Verses 6 to 11 This is what it says I know it's like two verses, and there's actually four things that we can see in this passage. If you blink, you'll miss it. So let's, uh, let's open in prayer, and then we'll see what God's word has for us. Holy Spirit, teach us, because we are not wise, and we need you to educate us and to guide us and to strengthen us, to convict us and to be with us. And so we trust you to do that really important job that we can't do for ourselves. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. So, verse 7 shows us that the first thing we should know about the ant is that she does not need a chief or an officer or a ruler to make her stay motivated um, to her job. Who here struggles with motivation for their job? Right? Who gets bored at work? Right? Tracy, you put your hand up. It's okay. You know, you you all get a little bit bored. I get bored. Who gets bored washing dishes? Right? (laughs) Sometimes I've been told that raising kids is boring, right? It's the same thing,
1: right?
0: Can't be, right? In the minutia of life, sometimes it can be boring—not dull, not dull, not dull. Not dull. Okay. Always, never a dull moment. But I mean, uh, I mean, uh, it's the it's the, it's the it becomes Monday, Monday repetitive of uh, change the diaper, feed the sna- well, the snacks, right? You guys don't know. Snacks. You guys don't know, man. Snacks. We're going to. $6 million a year budget on snacks. How can they be hungry again? They're always hungry, that's the rule. Yeah, we need to look at the ant and see that she does not achieve, need a chief, an officer, or a ruler to make her stay motivated to her job. Ants live according to their biological programming. As soon as they hatch and are big enough to do their job, Ants immediately begin to do the job according to their DNA. This DNA was given to them by their creator. If you look at an ant nest, there are dozens of types of ants and their bodies are physically created to accomplish and do the task that they've been given. And they have one job. They're not like us that gets bored in a job. They're not like us who get bored in a, there isn't an ant who's like, you know, I'm only considering going back to school. There isn't an ant who's considering a career change. There isn't an ant an who's just like, let me just like, you know, hop on Monster and see if I put my resume out there. Ants are born with a job, they do their job, and then they die, right? Jobs that ants have include, you know, the queen who lays eggs, you have the males who impregnate, and that's actually literally the only job that males have in that hill. Quite funny. They literally impregnate and chill. And then they wake up the next season and they do it again. There's also ants who take care of the larvae and the pupae. Ants who forage for food and water. Ants who defend the nest from predators. Construction ants who build the nest bigger. There's ants who can fly. There's ants who can crawl. Ants that can go really deep. Ants that can go really far. There's ants that get sent out to recruit other ants from other nests. There's ants who, when they spot uh, a corpse of an ant, from their their colony um, communicate with each other so that they can get the body out of there, right? There's so many jobs in an ant hill, And so it all comes down to their DNA. And for us as humans, we can trace our DNA back to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 28, we see that God created both man and female in his image. And then in verse 29, we notice a few things. The, verse, the first thing we see in verse 29 is that God blessed them. God blessed them because they were in union with Him. They were in union with each other. Things were right with God. They were with God. God was with them. They were blessed, and they were blessed in their work. And out of this blessing, God gave, gave them work to do. God commanded them to tend to the garden, to name the animals, to be fruitful and to multiply and fill the earth. He also commanded Adam and Eve to subdue the earth. And to have dominion over the earth. God created the earth perfectly. And yet there was so much to discover. So many resources to harness. So many places to see. So many things to innovate. So many things to create. So many places to go. So many rivers to name. And mountains to spot. So much of the world to experience. God did not give humans a pre-experience to earth. He gave us a good earth and then he said, go out, be fruitful, multiply, fill it, enjoy it, find out stuff about it, you know, celebrate it. You find a gold mine, celebrate, you know, when you strike oil, celebrate it, you know, discover and enjoy the fruit that is out there, the thousands of fruit that they probably, they couldn't even get through the fruit, right? Meanwhile, I'm out here buying only apples and bananas because that's all we can afford. And Adam and Eve are out there. They could probably try a fruit of the hour (laughs) club, right? Every hour. They they had so much earth to enjoy and cultivate. They were gardeners, right? They were told to garden and tend to the garden to um, enjoy it. The reason why Adam and Eve is given jobs is because they are made in God's image and The scriptures show us that from the beginning, apart from very existing, the first thing that we see that God does is he works, right? And so it is for Adam and Eve. They are workers. Out of their union with God, Adam and Eve were born to be copycats of God, working just like God did in Genesis 1. And the same thing can be said about us as his image bearers even here today. We work because he works, right? We are workers because he is a worker. However, in Genesis 3, we see that Adam and Eve introduced uh, sin into the world. And they did that by eating from the forbidden tree. And when they did that, Adam and Eve severed their blessing with God. And the result of this is several curses that we can see in Scripture. But one of the curses I want to focus on is it is found in Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19. I'll just read it for you. It says, It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. Isn't that depressing? Because of Adam's sin, work is now painful and hard. Instead of the lush trees that bore fruit of all kinds, thorns and thistles are now things that Adam and we have to deal with. And it goes on to say, you shall eat the plants of the wild. The plants of the field. And it's important that we notice that he is not referring to the garden anymore. They are the plants of the field. Because the garden represented union with God, right? The garden was a representation of God's perfection and provision. Adam and Eve had their mission to cultivate the earth to be fruitful. And in return, God's garden would provide food of all types for their sustenance. Shade on sunny days and so on and so forth, fresh water to drink, no thorns, no thistles, no labor, no sweat, just joyful, satisfying work. Yet in the field, we have a different story. In the field, there are thorns and thistles, hard work, sweat, injuries, boulders, tree roots that make digging tough, pests. You guys remember on, what, on Signal I sent you guys a picture of a plant? that had, it was infested. That was one piece of kale that I pulled out from my garden. It had like 50 aphids on it, just having a great time, reproducing and going all, like just just decimating the garden, right? Pests, disease. In fact, just reading Genesis 3 makes my mouth pasty because all I can imagine is the hard and dry Earth that required backbreaking cultivation to till, right? Can you picture it? Dry and hard, did great distances to walk in the hot sun, right? And this is where we're brought full circle back to our illustration of the ant. The ant requires zero motivation to get the job done because her DNA is pure. The moment she's born and old enough to go, she immediately goes to work performing the task that she was given with ease. However, with sin in the picture, we run into a number of issues. Unlike pre-fall Adam and Eve, who knew their job and were perfectly blessed and empowered to live according to the design, work is a challenge for us. The first example is we struggle to motiva- motivate ourselves, unlike the ants. We need a boss to lead us. We need to re- re- be reminded daily of our duties. And when we have bosses, good or bad, we clash. In our human depravity, we disobey. We question them and find ways to circumvent their authority. We think we would do a better job, right? If I was boss, I would dot, 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 right? Second, we struggle because we work according to our own strength. When we were blessed in the garden, Adam and Eve were richly provided with the resources to to do their job. Yet for us, we struggle because we insist on pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. Who's heard that saying before? Not only do we do work for for our jobs and our own strength, but we also work for our salvation. For us and by us, apart from God's blessing, right? We work apart from God. We work according to our own strength. We dig deep instead of looking to God. Third, some of us simply don't know what to do. We wander around like blind people trying to figure out what to do with our lives. Studies show that one in three Canadians this year are currently exploring not a job change, but a full career change. We are unsatisfied people, always looking for the perfect job, and yet, we rarely find it. Fourth, many of us struggle with grumbling. Because of Adam's sin, work is now hard. While many of us can't relate to thorns or pests or drought, we can all relate to hard coworkers. workers amen? Long commutes. Not enough pay, taxes, bad shifts, annoying customers. The work is too demanding. Boredom. And because the list is so long, unlike the ant, we grumble and grow dissatisfied with our work quickly. Right. A fifth struggle we take on is, or well, we struggle with, is the fact that we take on societal views of work. Our Greek-influenced world values knowledge-based jobs and devalues working with our hands. In general, I've noticed that we look down on people who do manual labor, right? And we elevate people who use their minds. We elevate doctors and lawyers and put down farmers and taxi drivers. We look down at -at stay-at-home mothers and elevate engineers, no offense, my guy. The gospel helps us to respond to this. Like I said earlier, because of the work of Christ, brought us back to God as God's children we now have access to God's blessing again in our lives first we can be motivated to work because we can appreciate the fact that we are God's image bearers the Holy Spirit can transform our motivation and help us to work according to his strength his word gives us wisdom and puts people in our lives to help help us make decisions about what we should do with our careers and our jobs how to be better parents how to run our homes effectively We also see in the word that his spirit helps gives us help as we battle against complaining and dissatisfaction philippians 2 chapter 2 verse philippians 2 verses 14 to 15 says do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of god without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world the gospel reconciles us to god and gives us a biblical view of work because we don't work for men, but we work unto the Lord. Amen? He is now our boss. And unlike the bosses of this world who exploit their workers, our gracious Father in Heaven always blesses us with more than we deserve. Amen? He provides for us in ways that we will never imagine. And He is probably my favorite part. He does not rely on us to do anything. Right? Our God is not like our bosses in the world, right? Our bosses in the world, if we don't go into our shift, chew us out, right? Because they are heavily relying on us to get the job done. We are cogs in the machine. And if we, as that cog, remove ourselves from that environment, we put stress and strain on the workplaces that we are from, right? If if, if the person who cooks the meals at home just suddenly stops cooking, what happens? You just don't eat, right? Somebody who stops washing the dishes for two days, what happens? Forget that. Half a day. The house starts to, you know, smells a little fresh, right? A little bit dank, not fresh. The fact of the matter is that our God does not require us to do anything. He's not leaning on us. He's not depending on us to get jobs done, right? Our God invites us into work, but he does not rely on us unlike our human bosses and so the gospel reconciles us to God and the gospel can help us to work like the ants, motivated focused and satisfied because we are blessed by him whose image we bear we can work heartily as unto the Lord like it says in Colossians 3 and we can worship him with our excellence because we are reconciled to him okay that's the first lesson to learn from ants. The second is quite simply that ants are hard workers. They're motivated and they work hard. Did you guys know that ant colonies can survive up to 30 years? Different workers, different queens even. Queens can typically live from 10 to 15 years. You guys know that? I'm just gonna assume that you guys don't know anything about ants. I've heard looked before. Ants themselves live from one to two years on average. Right, and so you put all that, put all that together, and an ant colony can survive up to thirty years. They do their hard, they do their work cyclically and seasonally. They work hard in and out of season, and yet as human beings, we struggle so much with this, and we have so much that we can learn from them. This reality reminds me of 2 Thessalonians chapter three verses six to twelve, and I'm not going to read the whole passage, but. In Thessalonica, there were Christians who thought they, they, they were driven by this thought. They, they thought that Jesus was about to return any minute. Right? They're just chilling, they're like, Jesus is coming back like three, two, one, and then you know? They're waiting for him. And so because of this, a bunch of them just, just stopped working. They just stopped. They were like, why? Jesus is coming back any minute now. What? I don't have to change my baby's diaper. <laughs> Jesus is going to come back and destroy all iniquity, right? I don't have to do that. And so Paul actually responds in a pretty drastic way. And I'm going to read kind of three, three reactions. If you want to get there in your Bibles, you can read along. 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 to 12. This is the first thing he says in verse six. He says, "Now we commend you." No, sorry. Now we commend you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in in idleness. What's idleness? Still. Still. What happens to your car when it's idle? It's not moving. It's not moving. Idle usually means that it's on, though, right? No. It's on. It's not sleeping. It's not resting. It's on, but it's not doing anything, right? It's just in this weird place where it's just ready to work and ready to move, but it's not moving, right? Paul is so serious here. And he is actually commanding that they walk away from any brother who is lazy or idle, right? Who here in the life of the church has heard of somebody breaking a friendship over unrepentant laziness, right? Who here has heard of church discipline over laziness, excommunication over laziness, idleness? Not like, oh, uh, I couldn't get out of this morning. I'm talking about unrepentant, systematic, deep-seated laziness. Who here has ever seen that happen? And yet, this is not a sin we as a church regularly confront, right? Paul is, is like, Keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. I think the only thing we can conclude from that verse is that, uh, that hard work and, and, and being a purposeful individual who works to the glory of God, who finds the jobs that God has given to them and does them well and seeks out work it, it is a biblical trait, right? And yet it is something that we don't come down on. We've got to learn from the end. We have to work hard in and out of season, right? That's verse 6. Verse ten says this: For even when we were with you, we would give you this command: If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Who who, who heard that verse growing up? Yeah. yeah. This is also a really serious command, a really serious thing for Paul to say, and yet it is so countercultural, and applies not just to our careers and jobs, but also applies to our homes and also our church. My dad would always say this, it seems like your generation is allergic to work, (laughs) right? That you avoid work at all costs. That you like to take breaks from your break, (laughs) rest from your rest, right? My dad would say, it must be nice to get a rest from your rest, right? This is what he would say, uh, uh, 6.30 on a Saturday morning as he ripped my blinds open. It's a way to get the, get the laundry going because we, we did our laundry at the laundromat, right? And if you didn't get to the laundromat for seven, you got all the bad machines, <laughs> right? So we load up the big bags, you know, sleep is still in your eyes in the wintertime, too. It's like pitch dark outside. You can't see what's going on. That's slinging this massive, what seemed like 300 pound bag of clothes at you and all the detergent and all the coins. And I think they had cards at that point, but they had all that stuff. And they were like, let's go. And you'd get there at seven, and it would be like, a, like, you'd be a robot, right? Load the machine, bring the card, put the soap, load the card, put the card in, set it to watch, wash, and then you would sit down and, you know, wonder what you're doing with your life. Make serious, have serious questions about your life decisions. Teasing me at 10, was <laughs> going on. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's it. I don't know. I I don't think this super applies to anyone in this room as it stands. But this, as, as simple as, you know, this is like eight words, ten words. This is something that if you were to go out in the streets and say this, I'm not talking about the gospel. I'm not talking about, like, the truth of God's wrath that is due to us. I'm not talking about our need for salvation. I'm talking about if you were to go out on the street, pull a random person off the street and say, If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I, I think you get boxed. Like, uh, there's a good amount of times you get hit <laughs> or, or cussed out, right? Because it's so countercultural. This is not the world we live in. The world that we live in says, If anyone is not willing to work, to, to work, let him collect money from the government, right? Now, I'm not saying that there are people who should not rely on the government. There are people in our society, 100%, who we should care for. And I I happen to think that, you know, when it comes to our seniors and our veterans and people who are truly disabled, that we should be giving them more, right? They should be given more to survive and actually, you know, be, be able to pay their rent. But the truth stands. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's the second thing Paul says to Thessalonica. The third thing he says is, verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. This is very similar to what he said actually in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. He says, aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, and to work with your own hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. What Paul is saying here to the church in Thessalonica is do your work and mind your own business. Right? If you look at the end of the, the first Thessalonians passage, we also see that working hard, minding your own business is actually an evangelistic tool. Right? He say, he's saying that hardworking and not relying on others for your income and for your food, helps us to walk properly before outsiders, right? Because work is respected in our society. I mean, maybe societally we look down on work, but I've never met a person who disrespects another person for hard work, amen? So that's the second thing. We need to learn from the end to work hard. Be motivated, work hard. And the third one, the third myrmecological example, is that ants work for the colony. They work for others. While the passage doesn't explicitly say it, we must understand that ants are colonial animals. Verse eight says that she gathers her harvest. And yet while she may be gathering it for her own benefit, obviously because she will need to eat, what's more important to note is that her work is for the benefit of the entire nest. Ants do not simply work for her food because she is not working for herself. And I found a little quote from a zoologist who says this about ants she said the workers help the colony of ants to survive the workers help the colony of ants to survive very elementary right you may say that's not a deep theological profound truth that you're putting on me today the ant the work the worker ants help the colony of ants to survive as you guys know i love social media Maybe not as much as Mike, but I love social media. And I'm connected to the world of Facebook groups. And one of the groups I frequent is called, uh, this is the name of the group, it's called Free Items in Durham Region. Who's part of that group? Yeah, the hands blew the roof. In this group, people post up their free things and uh, people can pick it up. And as you can imagine, it's quite busy. Things get picked off rather quickly. If you're not the first to respond, you immediately lose the free thing. We all love free. That's our favorite price, right? However, every few weeks or so, there's a type of post that I see. It. I'm, I kind of summarize it into my own words, but this is the gist of it. The post usually goes like this Single mother in need of food. Four kids at home. All money is gone to rent. No money to buy gas for my car. I will take any food I can find for me and my kids. I'm not picky. Unfortunately, I can't drive at the moment. So delivery is also needed. Who's seen that if you're in the group? Who's seen that type of post? Who's seen that on Facebook or uh, Nextdoor or whatever the app may be, right? Generally speaking, as you can imagine, the comment sections on these posts are extremely hot, right? Extremely hot. A bunch of the comments are usually very generous people who offer to drive over a bag of groceries. That's, I'd say about half of them. Then you get about a quarter, of the people who think they're being helpful by sharing links to food banks, right? Right? They're like, have you heard of Google? That's usually, you've got one person that's like, I'd like to bless you with this knowledge of the thing called Google. And here is a food bank that you can go to. And they're just like, yeah, I've like kind of been to all of them. Um, I don't qualify for half of them. As you guys understand, you know, government pr- things are hard. You have to qualify if you if you don't have enough income or if you have too much income or, there's certain days of the week you can go or certain days that they're open or sometimes they're far away. She said that she can't drive. She can't get there. Um, she can't take her four kids onto the bus, go and get massive load at the food bank, then come back to their like, It's hard, right? There's challenges. But then you also get another quarter of the people who usually take the time out of their really busy day to scold the person who's posting. They usually write something like this. I work hard for my money. Why do I have to provide for you? Right? That's usually a, maybe maybe not a quarter, but like you see a fair bit of them, and then they, that person usually gets chewed out, and then they get chewed out again, and it's a whole thing, right? But for me, every time I see these posts, and you know, Leah comes out on me because she's like, you, "You're too hard on men," but immediately every time I see these posts, my question is, where are these children's fathers? Right? That's for me. That, that, there's a million ways you could respond to these types of posts, and we're not here to talk about how you should respond. There will be another post, another sermon on social media at some point this summer. But usually that's where my mind goes. Where are the dads? Where are the men? Why are not they providing for their babies and for the mothers of their children? In every instance, it is a woman asking for help because she is the sole provider in her household. And I have nothing but respect for single moms. I have nothing, no, nothing but respect for the hardworking woman who do everything in their power to, to put food on the table and to make ends meet. But for me, my mind my, my goes out to the men. Where are they? You know, four kids, three kids. Where are the fathers? We have to see that the ant works for her colony. In her mind, the survival of her nest and colony are the only things that matter. Yet due to sin, as well as our culture, we have done so much damage regarding work that it makes so makes it so hard for us to work to view work unselfishly. Apart from the skyrocketing cost of food and gas and paper clips and straws and notepads and uranium, just about everything has gone up in price, right? Every single thing. It is our attitudes and hearts towards uh, and hearts toward work that has made it hard for us. We've promoted university over college for decades now. And now have a massive staffing shortage in the trades, right? We have told young people lies. Like, if you love what you do, then you'll never work a day in your life. Hot garbage, right? We have demeaned physical labor and work of inconvenience leading to staffing shortages in hospitals. I had a friend tell me just the other day that her hospital ward is empty because all of the nurses have left to go and do aesthetic surgery. They want to do facelifts and Botox and you know optional surgeries where people pay cash to have their work done. They have left the stressful work of the hospitals to go to these places where they can make triple or quadruple the hours, show up from 9 to 5, do a little talk, do a little Botox and they're back home to their families, they make quadruple the money, right? There's lots of things in this world that we're struggling with. We have. We have demeaned certain types of jobs So that it's impossible to fill them Even in the church It is so hard to get people who work in Sunday school Because it takes people out of the service And leaves you exhausted And it's not considered self-care After a long week, right? Just to be blunt, like that's the last thing We want to do after a long week of work We work all week We, we, you know, we come to church And we expect to sit and listen to a message To say, okay, now you have to go sit in there while kids crawl over you or you have to teach a lesson and then you have to clean up. And by the way, you don't get to hear the message. It's not very appealing, right? It's not super appealing. We've also turned our careers into selfish pursuits of gaining self-identity. More often than not, our jobs are our ability to produce and it, it comes down to how our jobs make us feel about ourselves, right? We've turned our jobs into selfish pursuits. But the Bible teaches us differently. While we obviously benefit from our work, our jobs are also about other people too, right? First Timothy chapter five verse eight says this But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Have you read that before? Philippians chapter two verses three to four says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest of each of you to the interests of others. Because of the gospel, we can seek, seek the well-being of our colony, aka our families, our church, above and beyond our personal well-being. We can work not only to make our ends meet, but to meet the needs of our co-workers and the customers that we serve as well. Because of the gospel, we can see our work in the home or church or at school as a means of serving others and not just fulfilling our own needs. Just like Jesus did when he considered others, our work can be an act of service and love to our brothers and sisters in Christ, or to our children, or to our elderly parents, or to whoever God has put in our lives. I love this, this, this thing that we often skim over, but when Jesus was on the cross, who did he entrust the care of his mother to? To John. He says, John, this is your mother. Woman, this is your son. Jesus understood that society was hard for widows. And when we look at work biblically, we have to understand that we put ourselves in a place to actually provide for those who truly cannot provide for themselves, right? Like single moms. Maybe things haven't changed so much after all. Though we have far more social nets, government programs, there will always be people in our midst who cannot work for themselves. And so when we consider how to work, um, I think it was the founder of Guinness who said, make as much money as you can, save as much money as you can, give as much money as you can. When we use the gifts that God has given to us, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of our communities and our households, we fulfill the biblical laws, right? We fulfill the call to love. And so that's um, the command to for the colony. I have one more and I promise it won't take too long. The last thing that we can learn from the ants is that we need to rest. We need to rest. And if you blink at the passage, you'll miss it. It says, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. So I read that and I thought to myself, well, what does she do after the harvest, right? Harvest is usually when, in the fall? What comes after fall? Winter. So I Googled, what do ants do in the winter? And this is what a Zoologist said. is what she said. The cold weather plays an integral role in the life of an ant. It causes their body temperature to drop significantly, making their movements slow and sluggish. As such, they seek out warm places to take cover and wait out the winter season. You can find them hiding in deep soil, under rocks or beneath the bark of trees. To maintain body heat and keep themselves alive, they huddle together to protect the queen, closing off their nest with soil and sand until springtime. As soon as the warm weather approaches, ants gain their strength back, open up the entrance of their nest, and they begin their journey once again to work. All those um, mentions of hiding in deep soil, that sounds good, right? For the people who are tired, right? Yeah, a little hibernation after this maybe. Unlike ants and bears and other animals, we do not hibernate in the winter. But my point here is that there is a time and place to cease from working. The first and most important reason why we rest is because this is how God modeled modeled it for us in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. On the seventh day, God rested. And if we fast forward to Mark chapter 2, verse 27, this is what Jesus says about Sabbath rest. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Church, we do not rest because it fulfills God's law. We're thankful to Christ who perfectly meets the requirements of the law because we couldn't. The reason we rest is because we need it. Amen. To work wisely means that we need to look at the ant. And the ant, she rests in her due time. As human beings, we are called to work hard like the ant. For ourselves and for others. Motivated because we are blessed by God. But then when we are tired, when our work is done, we rest. We cease from work. We enjoy what God has given us. We close our eyes and we can sleep peacefully. We hear struggles with rest. We hear, yeah. All of us, I think, in some ways, struggle with rest, but not all of us for the same reasons. And so, I want to address three different groups of people here, and maybe they overlap in a little bit. For some of us, we struggle to rest because we put too much of our identity in work and productivity. We struggle to rest because we say to ourselves, if I'm not productive, then what am I? We say things like, if you want something done well, do it yourself, right? We say things like that, right? But the gospel addresses this. The gospel speaks against this attitude. The gospel tells this person that in Christ, they are more than what they can produce, amen? We are more than the progress of our checklist. We're more than that. Right. If you look down at your checklist and you have one out of ten things done, it doesn't mean that you're worthless. The gospel says that you're worth more than what you could produce. The gospel tells this person that they can rest because unlike God, we need rest. The gospel tells this person that even though we are called to work, God is ultimately our provider. He will never forsake us. Amen? The gospel tells us that we have been given a family in Christ who we can recruit for help. And the gospel tells us that even when we cease from working, our God is still at work. We can take our hands off the wheel. We can close our eyes and sleep knowing that our God is awake at the wheel, right? He doesn't need to sleep. And so the sweetest sleep that you could ever have is the type of sleep where you recognize that God is in control. That God has your back. And you know what I want to encourage you guys to do? This is something that I've started doing lately. Pray for good sleep. You know? I don't think it's unbiblical, before we pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to supernaturally help us to sleep well, right? Before we turn to the sleeping pills and the white noise and the weight blankets and all, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us sleep, right? To help our baby sleep. You can do that. You can do, you can do that. There's been times where we have called out to the Spirit, sometimes just groans. <laughs> Spirit, help my baby to sleep tonight. We need it. And you know why he's answered that prayer before? That's the first person. So if you struggle to rest because you, you feel like you're nothing because you're not working, if you're the kind of person who goes on vacation and you're like, ah, I don't know how to rest. Like, I can't. I don't know what to do with myself. Right? Like, Raise your hand if that's you. you Struggles to rest because you're like, ah, I got to do stuff. I can't. Right? You got to keep moving. Right? Know that the gospel addresses that. On the other hand, some of, us struggle, some of us struggle to rest because we don't work enough. Or we don't work hard enough. Question for you guys. Who here has been sick recently? Like really sick? Who's had COVID in the last two years? <laughs> say it like that. So how do you feel when, you're, when you sit down on the couch and you've been sitting there for the whole day? Right? You're, you're resting all day. How do you feel at night? You feel gross, right? You sit on the couch all day doing nothing, you feel gross. That's some of the worst sleep you'll ever have in your life, right? If you've been napping all day, and then it's time to go to bed, you're just like, this is terrible, right? This is not quality sleep. The fact is is that God has designed us to be working people, and rest is something that comes on the back of work. We work for six days, and then we rest for one. Some might even say that work is six times more important than rest. But how can we rest if we're not working hard? God's design for work for us is that we give it our everything. We give it all our attention, all our effort, all our excellence. And then when we're done, we rest. But if we're not working hard, if we're using most of our time for leisure, like our society tells us that we not only need but deserve, then what does rest mean? Rest means nothing if we're not working. Right, And work means nothing if we're not resting. The rest of Proverbs chapter uh, 6 verses 9 to 11 says it very well. It says, um, if we're working for God's blessing, um, we need to rest. Um, this is what happens if we rest too much. I'll read for you. Verse 9 to 11 says this. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little slump, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. If we are not working hard and then resting, if we are just devoting our life to rest and rest and rest, rest from your rest and breaks from your breaks, we will encounter literal poverty, spiritual poverty, or whatever you may have. It right last thing before the close off. Some of us struggle to rest because we just don't know how to do it, right? And so what I'll say in closing is that is a discipleship issue. Some of us don't know how to rest. Some of us, I'd say, who here struggles to sleep? Who here struggles to get good quality sleep, right? That is... This is something that you can talk about in your discipleship groups, you know? It doesn't only have to be the blessing and beautiful work of Christ. That also applies to good sleep, right? Or at least working together to pursue wisdom in how we rest, right? So I'll close in prayer, but I want to encourage you guys this week. If you are struggling to rest because you don't know how, ask somebody. Literally find another person in Christ and say, how do I rest? That person might say, I have no idea, but let's find out together, right? Cool, let's pray. Jesus, thank you for uh, your word that teaches us to copy the ant. Help us to be motivated. Help us to work hard. Help us to work for others. And help us to rest. I pray for some of us in this room that you will help us to go home and have a good nap. I pray for some of us in this room that you will help us to go home and that our kids would sleep. I pray for some of us that we would just have some quality sleep as well, time in the word, time with our families, that we would experience true refreshment so that when we're done resting, we can work hard and we can repeat the cycle. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. Amen. Yeah. So um as you we're seeing you, she's back there. Um as, as they posted in their, in the chat, this is actually their last Sunday with us. Um can you can you just give a quick update about where you guys are at for those who don't know? Where did you move to? What are you doing? No. What's it at? we moved to Trenton. To do what? Big old city. Um to I don't know, to live. That boy, some like, coffee, man. There's a big thing of coffee yeah. here in the back there. We're, um, we're, done. we're done. We're done. Yeah. Uh, so today we're gonna celebrate our a We just wanna say, you guys, we love you, and we wish you well. Um, we know that uh, moving is hard. We know that work is hard. We know that family is hard. But we'll also say that it's all rewarding too. And we know that you're gonna be, you're gonna be um, salt and light in the community that God's placed you in. And so stick around. We have. Um, Apple crisp. We have donuts for skylight donuts. We have coffee. We have water. I know that the time is short. What's that? Yeah. And then we're gonna pray for them. You want to do that now? You guys come up. We're gonna pray for you guys. We just want to say see you later in a good way and uh, remind you that you three that uh, you're loved. So if anybody wants to come up. Actually, yeah, everybody from all no. options. Let's pray for them. Father,
1: we just want to commit to you, and uh, as they move forward into this new phase that you have led them to, Father, we just pray that you would lead them, that you would give them wisdom as they make decisions, that you would provide for them, because you are faithful, and you always have, and we know that you will continue to do so. We pray that you would give them uh, work to do, not just um, work in terms of earning a living, but also that you would give them a, a ministry there, Father, that they would be of uh, a service to the people there that you would connect them with a, a, a church that um, that they can uh, kind of lock into and connect with and father that they can be of service there that you can use them to further your kingdom and to uh, to bless them as well and so father we just uh, pray that you would be with them and let them know that they are always welcome here that they are loved by us and uh, we will miss them greatly um, but we wish them all the best give you thanks lord jesus in your precious name. Right?
0: Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. All right, <laughs> Say Spider-Man.
1: Spider-Man. How are you? Really, <laughs> this is my mom. Aw, oh, nice you,
0: Oh, I love you, too. <laughs>
1: Our guys because Nice to meet you. Do you guys have donuts from skylight Donuts. Before? Okay, going away. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, have a safe beautiful. So
0: no, no.
1: Yeah. <laughs> My brother just the <laughs> <made> Yeah, <it. laughs> And want to, take one step at a time, right? Enjoy the time.